chapter 12 as we continue our study in this gospel. All right, I'd like to read this passage for us as we begin. Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning grateful for the privilege we have to hear your word. We meet today without fear. We come into your presence because we have this great privilege and opportunity to do so. And we want to hear from your word and understand what it means, how it applies to our life. And so I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit this morning. Open our eyes to see again the truth of your word and to put it into practice in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And when we come to the Scriptures, one of the things that we see is that there are two key questions that the Scriptures, and in particular the Gospels, want us to wrestle with. And those two questions are these. Who is Jesus Christ? And what is my response to him? Over and over again, it keeps putting it out there in front of us to say, who do we believe that Jesus Christ is? When we look at John's Gospel, for example, he tells us plainly that he wrote all of these stories about Jesus Christ so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we might have life in his name. In Matthew's Gospel, these stories about Jesus are all building toward chapter 16 when Jesus says to the disciples, Who do men say that I am? And then he addresses Peter in particular and says, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus comes to all of us. And these words were written, these stories about Jesus, so that we might come to terms and make that decision ourselves because our faith needs to be a personal faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But not everyone saw him that way. 
Not everyone agreed with that assessment of Peter. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he experienced conflict and opposition. That conflict would increase the farther along it went leading up to the cross when finally the religious leaders would put him to death. The passage we're looking at this morning is really a turning point in that change in attitude that took place. The question I had, though, when I read this at first, and maybe you have this too, is how can you go from this question about, you know, the disciples picking a few heads of grain on the Sabbath and being upset with that, to at the end of the story, wanting to go out and kill Jesus? I mean, how, how do you go? How does that fit together, going from a few heads of grain to wanting to put this guy to death? Uh, you've probably had times in your life where you have noticed in someone else a reaction that seemed out of character or seemed like there had to be more going on than what you were really hearing. Well, that's what's happening here. The reaction of the Pharisees is out of proportion to just picking heads of grain. There is something more going on here. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's walk through this passage. And first of all, I want to begin by pointing out that the world cannot understand the person of Jesus Christ. The world cannot understand the person of Jesus Christ. It never has, and it never will. Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when he said, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A natural man, those who live in this world who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord, do not look at things the same way. They do not understand who Jesus is. They might think he's a a good man. They might think of him as a religious leader or somebody who said some really profound things or did some good things. But they do not see him as Lord and God. And they do not accept him. And on the other extreme, you'll have people that uh, hate him and think that he's the reason for all the problems in our world. And if people could just get rid of religion and Christianity in particular, this would be a better place. The unbeliever will never understand the person of Jesus Christ or his mission, why he came and what he has done for us. It is a work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see that. And some of you will recall even in your own experience of coming to faith in Christ that there may have been a time in your life when you read God's Word and it seemed like a mystery to you. You did not understand the stories. It just didn't make sense to you. And then one day it's like the light went on, it's like scales fell off of your eyes and you saw it. I've had funny stories where people later who have come to know Christ have said to me like, well, why didn't anybody tell me this before? You know, like, why didn't I hear this before? And and they had heard it and they had been told time and time again. But again, it's a work of the Spirit. When He opens our eyes and we get it, it all starts to make sense. There's a change that takes place that only God can do. A person can be intelligent, they can be well-educated, they can even be religious and still not get it. And the Pharisees are an example of that. They were religious but spiritually blind. And this passage is an example of the heavy yoke that they placed upon the people in contrast to Jesus' yoke that was easy and His burden that is light. 
and this concerned the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples were going for a walk on the Sabbath day, and they were hungry. And they came to a field of grain. Often paths went alongside of fields of grain. And so they came and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. They weren't stealing. The law allowed that. If you were a farmer, if you will, and you had a field of grain, when it came to harvest time, you were not to reap to the edges. You were to leave grain along the edges, along the pathway, so that the widow or the orphan, the alien, people going by, could pick some heads of grain and eat. But the Pharisees, who were watching all of this, accused Jesus' disciples of breaking the law. But whose law? God's or theirs? Under God's law, the Sabbath was to be a day of joy and rest and worship. It was a reminder of the covenant that God had made with man, that we had entered into a relationship with Him, and the Sabbath was given as a day of blessing for us to come to know Him better, to grow in our relationship with Him. In a similar way, when we come together on Sunday morning, it is to be a distinctive part of our life, a rhythm of life where we put God first. Secondly, it was to be a reminder of God's creation. In six days, God had made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, He rested, and so should we. And it is a reminder that there is more to life than our work. That man is not a machine just to go on endlessly. The sum total of who we are is not what we can produce. We are to enjoy this relationship with God. We were made to worship and to glorify Him. And so here, God's perspective on the Sabbath was now being distorted by the Pharisees. The Pharisees had made the Sabbath a burden by their legalism. They had requirements in terms of what you could and could not do when it came to work. In fact, there were 39 kinds of work that were forbidden on the Sabbath, and reaping was one of them. They had regulations, too, about how far you could walk or not walk on the Sabbath. And so uh, everything was to be kind of carefully watched, and it seemed like that's what the Pharisees were doing here, just kind of seeing if they were going to slip up at all, and then they were going to jump on them. When I think about them accusing the disciples of reaping, I mean, the law, God's law, had said that you could pick those heads of grain. But you weren't to take a sickle and do that. You weren't to harvest it and take more than you needed as you were going on that journey. But these guys accused them of reaping. And I can imagine, you know, that they were probably so petty that when the disciples took those heads of grain and began to rub them together to get the kernels of wheat out, they probably accused them of threshing. And then, you know, when they blew the chaff away, well, then they were winnowing, you know, they were blowing that chaff away. And then when they put it in their mouth and ate it, they were probably guilty of grinding, you know, and doing all of these un- unlawful acts of work on the Sabbath. And Jesus looked at them and was amazed. The disciples were not farmers trying to do some illicit work. They were more like missionaries who were hungry and there was a need. And how did Jesus answer the Pharisees? Well, he took them to the Scriptures. He took them to the Scriptures. It's the same way that we should answer the questions people have. We take them to the Word of God because what's most important is what God says, not what we say. 
And what we begin to see in Jesus' answer is that this really isn't about the Sabbath and what we can or can't do on the Sabbath or for us on a Sunday. It is really about Jesus and who He is. And what we see secondly in this passage is that Jesus is the authoritative interpreter of Scripture. He is the authoritative interpreter of Scripture. And what do I mean by that? Well, how Jesus answers them is he takes them to three different passages of Scripture, three stories that address this issue of what he is talking about. First of all, he looks at the example of David. And he tells a story, or he makes reference to a story in 1 Samuel 21. When he says, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. What happened here was that this was when David was fleeing from Saul. And he had nothing. He had to leave in haste when Saul had tried to kill him. And so he left without a sword. He left without provisions. He had these men that were going to help him on his way. And so he um, goes to the temple or tabernacle, which was in this village of Nob at that time, and all the priests were there. He went to Ahimelech, the high priest, and he asked him for help. He asked him to show mercy. And Ahimelech asked about the situation and what was going on, and he said, the only bread I have is the bread that has just been exchanged now from the temple. The new bread had been put in place in the tabernacle of the Lord, and the old bread had been taken out, but it was consecrated bread that, again, only the priests were to eat. But he said he would give it to David if his men had kept themselves pure. They had, and so David took that bread and he gave it to his men to eat. The priest, Ahimelech, was showing mercy to David. And what Jesus is calling attention to here is that David's actions were not condemned and the priest's actions were not condemned. It was right for them to show mercy and to reach out to this individual who was in need. And Jesus is claiming if they did that for David... One greater than David is here. How much more should they show kindness or mercy to the Messiah? Secondly, he called attention to the priests in verses 5 and 6. And he said, Haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I mean, he's saying, think about it. You know, the priests who work on the Sabbath day, you bring your sacrifices, they are there to prepare them, to offer them up to the Lord. You know, they're working all day on the Sabbath. They're technically breaking the law, aren't they? And yet they are given permission to do so, and no one faults them for their work. You might say the same thing about those who are, you know, involved in ministry today. You know, when is, when is our Sabbath as a pastor? I mean, we are working on Sunday, and rightly we should. It's what God has called us to do. And Jesus is saying, I tell you the truth. One greater than the temple is here. And then he talked about the Sabbath in verses 7 and 8. And he said, Uh, that if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. It's a quote from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, 
where Hosea said that, made that statement, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What God desires most of all from us is that our heart would be right with Him. He doesn't want our offerings when we do not know Him. He doesn't want us to think that we can do good works or religious deeds and that God will accept those if our heart is not again in a right relationship with Him. Let's put first things first. And what he is saying to these Pharisees is that the Sabbath was not an excuse to no longer show mercy or to think that that can get you out of doing these things that God wants you to do. Their gifts, their sacrifices, all of their good deeds were meaningless rubbish because they did not know God. They were like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story when this man is wounded by robbers and stripped and left for dead by the side of the road and a priest comes along and he sees him and he doesn't want to take care of him because that would make him unclean and so he walks by on the other side and a Levite does the same thing. He ignores this man who is suffering uh, thinking, you know, I've got to keep the law, I've got to do this and he walks by on the other side. And it takes a Samaritan to see his need, to stop, to dress his wounds, to bring him to an end, to pay for his care, and to offer to come back and even do more. The Pharisees missed it. The Sabbath is not an excuse to not do good or to show mercy. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. In essence, again, what Jesus is saying is that one greater than the Sabbath is here. Now, all of these claims by Jesus were shocking. I mean, Jesus is claiming to be the authoritative interpreter of Scripture. He is claiming that he is reading this correctly, and they are not. But even more than that, Jesus is claiming to be God. And that is why the Pharisees plotted to kill him. They understood this. I mean, who can say that they are greater than David? Can you imagine that? I mean, David being their king that they honored and revered, and now he's saying that I am greater and more important than he. And who can say that I am greater than the temple? I mean, who is greater than the temple? Only God is greater than that temple. And who is greater than the Sabbath? And who can make these claims? Again, only God has the right to make those statements. So who is right here? Is it Jesus or is it the Pharisees? And that question is answered in the next story in verses 9 to 13. Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And the Pharisees were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know, they're putting out the bait. They're hoping that Jesus is going to take the bait and that they can trick him somehow and uh, accuse him of doing something wrong. And Jesus knew full well what they were doing. And so he put it back to them and he said, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on a Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? I mean, they shouldn't be doing that. That would be work on the Sabbath. But if they had an animal that fell into a pit, 
they certainly would go down and they'd get that sheep out and they would rescue him. And he goes, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was completely restored, as sound as the other. Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath to show that he is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, in the same way that Jesus healed the paralytic, the paralyzed man in uh, chapter 9, when this man had been brought to Jesus and Jesus said, My son, your sins are forgiven. And they were questioning him, how can, how can he say that your sins are forgiven? No one can do that but God. That's blasphemy what he is doing. Jesus understood that. And he healed the man to show that he had the authority to forgive sins. And in this case, he healed the man on the Sabbath to show that he was indeed Lord of the Sabbath. You know, sometimes people who belong to some of the cults today, like Jehovah's Witnesses, will come and they'll say things like, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Really? All of these statements are claims to be God. And again, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, understood that. And either it is true or it is blasphemy. There's, there's no middle ground here. Either what Jesus is saying and claiming for himself is true and he is Lord and God and we should bow before him. Or he is a blasphemer or the devil of hell as C.S. Lewis said or something worse. But there is no middle ground. And that's why, again, the writers of Scripture tell these stories so that we are forced to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus Christ and what is my response to him? Do I believe that he's the one that he claims to be? And have I given him my life as Lord and Savior of all? Jesus challenged their priorities. You know that statement, they cared more about sheep than a man? Showed also that they cared more about their own personal gain than doing good to others. And our world can get things so turned around you know, I think about that, and I'm, I won't go down this tangent. This could be a whole message, you know, going to the side, but just call attention to it. You know, I think about that every time when in our world I hear the concerns about an endangered species, and we have a right to be concerned about our environment and about species that are endangered. I'm not saying don't be concerned about that. But our world can put more value on that than it does a child in the womb. And it is more concerned about, say, an eagle's nest than that baby who is an unborn child. And we get things turned around. And what God says in His Word is how much more valuable is a person than an animal. And I think that this, again, is a strong statement. We get things turned around in our world where people are so concerned about defending the free speech of obscenity or pornography or things like that that can destroy lives and families. And it's more concerned about that than it is about the issue of protecting our children and our youth from the evil that's in our world. Jesus said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
One of the questions the world will sometimes ask is, you know, and uh, this would be putting it respectfully, but they'll ask the question, does Christianity really make any difference at all? And they have doubts. And there are people who think that Christians are the most intolerant people. I mean, that's kind of the supreme virtue right now is tolerance in our world and, you know, that we should be tolerant of everybody and everything and all behavior as though everything is equally good when that's not true. Is there a difference between those who are believers in Jesus Christ and who believe the Bible is the Word of God in the way that they respond to our culture and in terms of showing mercy? An interesting study was done in Australia a number of years ago about the religious factor in Australian life. And part of the survey asked people about their attitudes toward various groups. People with criminal records, emotionally unstable people, people of a different race, members of minority religions, students, people in sects or cults, left-wing extremists, immigrants, foreign workers never married mothers, unemployed persons, heavy drinkers, aborigines, people with large families, homosexuals. And they were asked how they felt about each of those groups. Well, the answers were analyzed according to various religious groupings, and an index of tolerance was created to see who was actually most tolerant. Can you guess who was most tolerant? It was not liberals. It was not Catholics, it was not even evangelicals, but conservative fundamentalists came to the top of that list. And the difference between those who were most tolerant and those who were not was actually a very wide margin. Those with no religion came in last. So much for the pundits who think that if you have faith in Christ or you believe the Scripture is the Word of God, that somehow you are intolerant toward other groups. Those who actually showed more love, more mercy, more kindness were those with the deepest faith. That's what the Bible would say, that true faith produces mercy. People who care about others and who bring change to our world. Well, thirdly, in this last part of the text, we see that Jesus is indeed the hope of the nations. In verses 15 to 21, let me read it for us. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place, and many followed him, and he healed all their sick. And warning them not to tell who he was, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. And I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he leads justice to victory, and in his name the nations will put their hope. Matthew tells us Jesus withdrew from that place knowing the attitude of the Pharisees. Now was not the time to go to the cross yet. That time would come, but not now. He left and many followed him, and it tells us again that Jesus healed all of their sick. It is an example of what John had said, that if they had written all of the stories of all of the miracles Jesus did, it would be hard to find enough books to contain them all. Jesus urged silence 
for now for those who came and believed in him. He didn't want people to follow him for the wrong reason as some kind of miracle worker or healer, and that was the only reason they came. And all of this, Matthew says, was done to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet had written in the Scriptures, again some 700 years before Christ was born. It's a passage that is called one of the servant passages in Isaiah. There are four that stand out. This is the first of those in Isaiah chapter 42. And it is a direct claim that Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's servant. He's the one that Isaiah wrote about. And God said of him, This is my servant whom I have chosen. This is the one I love and whom I delight. You remember those words from Jesus' baptism. And he will repeat them again on the Mount of Transfiguration. I will put my spirit on him. He's the one in whom the spirit dwells without measure. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He's going to proclaim this wonderful truth of the gospel that will bring freedom and liberty and hope and healing. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. He's not loud and ostentatious. He's not a braggart. He's one who comes and who ministers humbly and who speaks gently. In fact, his ministry is so gentle that it says that a bruised reed he will not break. A a damaged reed, you can think by the, the sea or by a lake, a damaged reed he's not even going to break. Or a wick that's smoldering he's not going to snuff out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. This servant of God came gently, came humbly, calling for those to put their faith in him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Listen to the message. Listen to my words. Look at my deeds and come and believe. How do we overcome the evil in our world? We follow the example of Jesus. We do it the same way that he did. We overcome evil with good. There's a story that Watchman Nee told about when he was ministering in China. And he tells about a Chinese Christian who had a rice paddy and right next to it was a communist who also had his rice paddy. And this man would go out, this Christian, and every day he'd have to pump water to fill up his field with water so that the rice could grow. They had kind of a pump that would be a little bit like sitting on a bicycle, a manual pump where you're pumping away and then that brings the water into your field. Well, what began to happen every day was this man who was a communist, his field was a little bit lower than the Christian's field, and so he'd come and he'd remove some of the boards that were a barrier between the two. The water would flow down his field would be filled and the Christians would be empty and this man didn't need to pump at all. Well, it continued day after day and finally the Christian prayed and said, Lord, if this keeps up, I'm going to lose all my rice, maybe even my field. I've got a family to care for and what can I do? And the Lord gave him an answer. The next morning he arose even earlier in the hours before dawn when it was still dark and he began to pump. But he started pumping water into the field of his communist neighbor first. And then when that was done, he replaced the boards and he filled his own fields. In a few weeks, both fields of rice were doing well. And you know what? 
In time, the communist was converted. He overcame evil with good. You know, this week, it was interesting, our mission team met with a person who is working in that part of the world still. And one of the greatest witnesses that they have is just simply their love, their kindness, their good deeds. They create an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. You know, those acts of kindness are not a substitute for the message. No, instead they can open doors for us to be able to win a hearing and to be able to tell about Jesus Christ more clearly. The power of the kingdom is revealed by humble acts of compassionate service. I believe that's one of the strong messages of this text. The power of the kingdom is revealed by humble acts of compassionate service. The world on its own will never understand who Jesus is or why he came. So pray and ask God to open their eyes. I mean, that's, that's why we pray. If people cannot see the light of the glory of Christ, it's because Satan has blinded their eyes. So ask. Ask God to open their eyes. The world doesn't believe the Bible is God's holy word. Use it anyway, because it is God's word. And even if someone does not believe it, his word is a sword, it is a fire, it's a hammer. It is powerful, divinely power, just to tear down the strongholds of the enemy and all of those arguments that are raised up against Christ. Use the word of God. And the world may treat you just like it treated Jesus, but love them in a way. And live your life in such a way that others may see Jesus in you. You know, there are many different ways that we can do that. It starts right where we live in terms of being a good neighbor or a good worker or employer, a good friend. And we as a church in uh, these years have been involved in a number of different ministries. It's why we were involved with Feed My Starving Children or Urban Homeworks or why we go on mission trips. Uh, in April, we're going to talk again about the um, influence you can have on the life of a child through child sponsorship. We've got people that have been involved with the Union Gospel Mission or Minnesota Teen Challenge. And all of those are opportunities to just let your light shine, to be involved in reaching our world for Christ. There are a couple of new opportunities that have come up too, and I'm actually going to share this in, in a sense as an announcement here. And if you're interested or could help with this, you may want to uh, get in touch with our office or talk to me. But uh, there's a couple opportunities right here in our community for those who like to cook. Those who like to cook and use their gifts in that area. Uh, the area churches have joined in serving a community meal. The food is provided by our family uh, pathways. The meal is served at Zion Lutheran on Monday nights. There have been about 100 to 130 people who have been coming. Uh, and they're looking for churches to take one month at a time on a rotating basis. If that's something that you would like to be a part of or help with, that would be great. And you could just let us know at the office and we'll get you in touch with the people who are doing it. So if you have questions, you can make that connection but also through the uh, baby blanket that reaches out to those that have crisis pregnancies too uh, and provides resources for them. There's a need to cook a meal for that group just one, one Saturday out of the month, and it's not every Saturday. Uh, it's just one Saturday out of the month, and that too is on a rotating basis. 
but it's a way that you could be a blessing to somebody else. And apparently there's about 40 to 50 people that are involved and use that as well. Practical ways that we can reach out and look for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. How will God use you? What are the gifts that you've been given? Jesus tells us to let our light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Each of us have the opportunity to do that. And these are just a few examples. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that when it comes to our relationship with you, that you have given us everything that we need to live a life that is pleasing to you. By your word, by your Holy Spirit, by the encouragement we receive from others, we can grow in our faith. And you are there. You lift us up. You guide us. You empower us and teach us. And Father, you want us to be that kind of individual who makes a difference in our world through these acts of compassionate service. Father, help us to find where we fit, where our place is. and It's both within the church and outside the church. And help us to do that in a way that honors and glorifies you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?